It's time for the number one talk show of Eastern Connecticut and Southern Rhode Island. The Stu Breyer Potpourri Talk Show on 1310 WICH. Now here's Stu Breyer. It's time for my go-to guy who I feel brings a lot of sanity into the world. And uh, Rob Simmons is with us. Here's the Colonel. Good morning, Rob. Good morning, Stu. And uh, if it, if my voice sounds a little bit funny this morning compared to usual, my landline is down. And so I'm sitting on the porch of my house outdoors with a cell phone because the cell phone service here is not all that great. So hopefully we'll be able to make it work. Actually, it sounds pretty clear at the moment, knock on wood. So I think we're good. in uh, good uh, good shape here. But before we get into a conversation, I'll tell our listeners 889-5252 if they have a question for you. And uh, I don't know about you, but the allergies this year, I think I'm allergic to politics. I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, well, that's funny you say that because uh, uh, we we live on the shoreline here in Stonington, mm-hmm. but every flower bush or tree that could be blossoming and right next to my tulip tree which is approximately 100 years old every every tree that could shed pollen is shedding pollen and, and I have had two sneezing fits mm-hmm. over the last 24 hours like continuous sneezing so I hope those folks out there who are susceptible to this um, are protecting themselves and, and believe it or not those uh, gas, those masks that we're wearing for COVID that really don't work for COVID. <laughs> Works for uh, allergies, though, huh? They, they they work. They work for pollen. The pollen the, the the pollen is sufficiently large that it's filtered out by those face masks. So that's a good uh, point. I got well, seventy two hundred masks left. I'll put them on again. Put, put on your your Wuhan flu mask, and it won't protect you from the flu, but it might reduce the. Uh, pollen count in your nostrils. <laughs> Rob, do you think everybody that uh, now wants to run for president on the uh, Republican side, I wish I could get you to run, but uh, do you think they seriously think that they can do it, or they just want the limelight? I mean, some of these candidates, you wonder, are you kidding me? Well, I can't uh, speak for the candidates. I can simply speak as an observer. Mm-hmm. My guess is that some of the there's there no question on the Republican side that Donald Trump wants to be president. There's no question on the Republican side that uh, Ron DeSantis wants to be president. Um, maybe Mike Pence, but Nikki Haley, maybe she's angling to be vice president. Tim mm-hmm. Scott, maybe he's angling to be vice president. We all know that that Kamala Harris got to be vice president because she ran for president. Uh, she she was not popular in the Senate. She was not popular in California as an elected official. She, in fact, was not successful as a presidential candidate. She did badly. But uh, she met Joe Biden's requirement that the vice presidential candidate be a woman and and black. She's not exactly black. She's partially black, partially Indian from India. And... Uh, um, and partially white, but she's, I guess you could say, black enough to meet the standard that Biden set. So, bingo, she becomes vice president. And and in actual fact, is, I don't think is a very good vice president. She was assigned duties for the border, which she avoided like the plague, and now she's been assigned the duty of artificial intelligence, and I'm not sure she's done anything in that area. But, but the message to 
uh, other candidates, and, and of course to Republican candidates, is that if you get in the game and, and score even modestly well, maybe mm-hmm. maybe the Republican candidate for president will point a finger to Tim Scott, who is who's, is black and comes from a black family descended from slaves, or Nikki Haley, who is Indian from India, pretty clearly um, an Indian American and a female. So maybe that's what they're looking for. They're looking for that second second position, which in actual fact is really not a, a bad position to have. You get a house, you get an airplane, you mm-hmm. get a lot of attention, you get to travel. Boy, that to me, if, if you told me if you told me, Stu, that I had a choice between being president and vice president, I'd say, well, it depends on who the president is, but normally I would want to be vice president <laughs> because it's more <laughs> I fun. But I have this uh, weird concept that maybe the vice president who is ever picked should be the most qualified. But, you know, these are different times, so we'll just leave that alone. In the meantime, <laughs> explain to us this uh, debt ceiling uh, proposal of... People like it. People hate it. Both sides. I don't know. It, it gets you a little uh, mixed up in the head. But you have a you're privy more to information on this. So what do you think? Well, it's not just the information, but having served uh, in Washington in the Senate for seven years as a senior staffer, and then in the House as a member of the House, plus having served in the minority for ten years in Hartford, you you get to understand the legislative process and the the legislative process is just not the same as being a chief executive officer so people in business who say i'm going to run for politics i'm going to be a congressman a state senator a national senator i'm going to i'm going to i'm going to run the country like a business well the country doesn't run like a business uh, and and so people uh, who are governors, for example, say, well, I was governor for so many years, and I'm going to run for president, uh, and I'm going to run America the way I ran the state of, I don't know, Arizona, or ran the state of Nevada, or whatever. It, it's a, it, doesn't, it doesn't really work that way. It's a much more complicated job. So first and foremost, when it comes to the... Uh, the debt ceiling deal uh there first and foremost is it passed by 314 to 117 that's not close no that is not close we thought it would be closer mm-hmm. it is not close at all and then if you uh, go to the washington post and look at the ideolo- ideology of the members of the house uh, the 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 Democrats who are most liberal, the most liberal Democrats, uh, didn't like it. They voted no. But then if you move from the most liberal to just the liberal and then to the moderate Democrats, it was quite popular among moderate Democrats. Then you go to look on the Republican side. The most conservative Republicans, of course, didn't like it. They didn't like it. But the moderate Republicans did like it. So what this what this means is that ideologically the center won. The center of both parties won. And in my six years in the House of Representatives, 
as a Republican, I was a moderate, and we were very successful under Republican leadership because we could reach out to moderate Democrats, or what they call blue dogs, to make deals. If the blue dog Democrats liked what we were proposing, it usually passed, even though some very conservative Republicans didn't like it. Um, the middle is, is where you find victory, not in the extremes. And so to me, this um, was a major victory, not just for McCarthy and for the moderate Republicans, but also for the moderate Democrats. Uh, and that's why I think Schumer has decided that he has no choice but to get it through the Senate without amendment and get it to the president's desk for signature. And I think it will go through the Senate, and I think it will go to Biden for signature. Now, now the right-wing Republicans say, this is a, a terrible bill. We didn't get anything we wanted. Well, that's just simply not true. That's simply not true. If, if you remember, Stu, the president said he wanted a debt ceiling bill with increases and no what he called a clean bill, nothing else in it. Well, this is not a clean bill. It holds non-military spending flat through the 2024 fiscal year. That's good. It has a 1% cut in government spending if the appropriations bills aren't passed by the end of the year. That's good. It cuts the money to the IRS, not as much as you want, uh, it's not $80 billion, but it's $21 billion, and the IRS issue is probably going to be decided in the Supreme Court. That's good. It pulls back $30 billion of, in unspent money for COVID. In other words, the COVID the, or the Wuhan flu money, I call it the Wuhan flu because that's what it is, the money that was, was appropriated for that purpose, there's a lot of it unspent. So $30 billion of it is being cut back. Well, I would like to cut more. Uh, but, you know, a deal is a deal. So we're cutting some back. And then here's here's a critical issue, the work requirements. It tightens work requirements for federal aid for people who are healthy and between the ages of 18 and 54. If you want food stamps, you got to work. If you want uh, uh, other forms of welfare, you got to work. And, and, and this is something that was approved in the Clinton administration years ago, workfare. You're healthy uh, and you're between the ages of 18 and 54. Um, you're not a veteran or homeless person or somebody in foster care. you got to work if you want to get uh, these freebies. You can't just sit around for it. <clears throat> so when I look at it, I think there were some very substantial uh, changes that were made to what Biden wanted that, in fact, uh, are supported by um, a lot of moderate Democrats as well. So to me, this is this is, is quite an interesting and exciting uh, development that the House Republicans and Democrats uh, came up with a debt ceiling deal that is popular on both sides of the aisle. I get the impression, Rob, that uh, when they come to these decisions, uh, each party says, well, how is this going to enhance uh, me politically as opposed to what's going to be best for the country? Yeah, and that's that's normal. Yeah, I mean, I know that, it's is, normal. that I just, is normal. Yeah. Um, when I was sent to Hartford as a state representative, 
I worked overtime for the fishermen because I felt the fishermen here in Stonington and elsewhere in Connecticut and Rhode Island, but in particular in Stonington, because the largest fishing fleet in Connecticut is right here in Stonington, I worked very hard for the fishermen. And after six months to a year, I had a, a colleague come up to me and said, why do you spend all your, why do you waste all of your time with the fishermen? There are other important issues, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I said, yeah, but how many, how many fishermen do you have in your district? Well, uh, none. I said, well, there you go. Uh, the largest fishing fleet and the largest number of fishing families in Connecticut is in my district. Therefore, that's important to me. And if they're not important to me, then I shouldn't be here and somebody else should take my place because, because I'm going to advocate for them and you won't. And, and that's, that's kind of the way it goes. I mean, if it's, if it's, if it's good for my district, Mm -hmm. then it's good for me. And that's the way it should be. So, uh, Rob, uh, I, I, don't, yeah. I don't get sent to Hartford so I can represent the sugar maple farmers uh, in the northwest corner of the state. No, that doesn't make sense. So, which doesn't make sense to me why anybody would be against of able-bodied people should be working instead of... Uh, Getting the money on the dole there. I mean, well, let me let me ask you this question. That's a good. That's a that's a good question. That certainly is something that I've been concerned about. But if if you represent uh, Hartford or New Haven or Bridgeport, um, then people in your district who may not want to work, who may want to be on in government housing mm -hmm. and may want to be on government assistance and may want to be on. Uh, various other government programs. If you in increase the eligibility and you get rid of the work requirement, are they going to vote for you or are they not going to vote for you? Well, in my opinion, they're going to vote for you because, hey, my, my congressman or my state senator or my state representative says, I can get money, but I don't have to work. Yeah, And there are people in America today, just as there are people in Connecticut today, who, who don't value work or who don't want to work unless they have to. And in this particular instance, what we're saying is your neighbor is not going to pay for you unless you put something back into the economy. And that means you work. Because the way the system has uh, worked in the Obama administration in the way Biden wants it to work is you have large numbers of the population who get paid not to work and will come out over the election season and vote Democrat because the Democrats will say if the Republicans win they're going to take your benefits away and you might even have to work. Okay. Think about it. you got to think of which side is going to be happier at the voting booth on that one. It's called buying votes. I know. Why do you think that Biden is trying to forgive student loan? Because middle-class children who've taken loans to go to college now can't afford to pay them back? No, they don't want to pay them back. I mean, I, I bought a car in 2017, the first new car I've ever bought, a brand-new Ford over at Valenti Ford, wonderful, wonderful dealership. I love my brand new car, car, but you know what? To get a brand new Ford, I, I had to take a loan. Now, um, would I would I like the government to say, Rob, you're a nice guy and you work hard and you're a veteran. We're going to pay for your loan. Hey, sure, sounds yeah. like a winner. Sure, go right ahead. 
pay off my loan. But no, I pay off my loan just the way workers who leave high school and go to work pay off for their trucks and their tools and their equipment. Why should a kid take a loan to go to college and have four wonderful years at UConn and go to all the basketball games and, and, and enjoy life and then at the end uh, graduate with fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 in loans and the government comes in and says, no, don't worry, we'll pay it off for you. But you have to vote for us, of course. We of course, I mean, naturally, us. we're going to take it. I, I would, I, if I ran for office, I would never win because I would think of, <laughs> I would think right. of what is best for my state, what is best for my country, <laughs> and there was no chance I'd win. Right? Well, I, I think that what you have to do is you have to appeal to people's self-interest. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always, support, I'm a veteran. I always supported the veterans. I had veteran support. But, but veterans who serve their country in uniform, who go off to war and who risk their lives and maybe put their, their health and their well-being at risk deserve some sort of support from the government that sends them there. And that's a little bit different than just mm-hmm. uh, growing up in Bridgeport or, or New Haven and expecting the government to pay for you even though you're able-bodied between the age of 18 and 54. You, you, you want to receive benefits? you got to do some work. Hi, Rob. We're going to take a short break. Rob Simmons is with us. Always a pleasure when he's on the program. And uh, if you want to get into question, I'll take a couple, 889-5252. We'll be right back, Rob. Hi, Rob Simmons is with us this morning. And, uh, Rob, let's take a phone call and a question. Your question for the Colonel. Colonel, uh, will Social Security get a raise this year? Uh, Social Security goes up automatically. So Social Security is not an issue for the debt ceiling deal. Uh, Richard Nixon uh, and passed a law back during the, administ- the Nixon administration that said that uh, Social Security be-, be pegged to cost of living. So whenever the cost of living goes up, Social Security goes up aut- automatically. And I can say that my Social Security um, check uh, has grown uh, over the last several years because the cost of living has gone up. So, Rob, ever since I was a teenager with hair, I uh, always hear the politicians every time there's an election, vote for me because the other side is going to take away your Social Security. Yeah, that's just nonsense. And it's nauseating to me because people still to this day believe that, that yeah. rhetoric. Yeah, I'm a Republican. I'm on Social Security. My wife is a retired school teacher, so her she does not get Social Security because she's retired from the state of Connecticut. But they have their own retirement system. Uh, no, I, I've never uh, seen or met a Republican that would seriously consider getting rid of Social Security. There are different ways of paying for it, and that's that's a matter of discussion. But but nobody agrees with that. I paid into Social Security. Since I first went to work for the Army, as I paid into Medicare, and I damn well want to get my benefits when mm-hmm. I'm retired, which I am now, uh, because I need that uh, assistance, and I paid for it. I paid for it. Well, sure as God made little green apples, it'll come up again. Oh, it, it usually does. Now, now getting back to the uh, debt ceiling uh, bill, I think it's mm-hmm. important to know, I've already said that the, the vote was 314 in favor 117 opposed, and just so people know, 169 Democrats voted for it, 
149 Republicans voted for it, 46 Democrats voted against, 71 Republicans voted against, four people didn't vote at all. But the Connecticut delegation uh, voted as follows. The people in the Connecticut delegation that voted against it were Rosa DeLauro from New Haven, John Larson from Hartford, mm -hmm. and Johanna Hayes from the 5th Congress Congressional District. They voted no. And then Joe Courtney from the 2nd District and Jim Himes from the 4th District, which is Fairfield County, they voted in favor. So it's kind of interesting that the 4th the District was held by Chris Shays for 20 years, and it, it tends to be more moderate to conservative by Connecticut standards. So Himes voted in favor of the bill. And the 2nd District, which um, has, you know, I, I held for six years and, and other Republicans have held uh, in the past, uh, it tends to be more moderate, has a lot of military people, I think. And so Joe Courtney did what is common sense and voted in favor of the, uh, the uh, debt uh, ceiling deal. So just as at a national level, Republicans and Democrats were divided among themselves here at a state level, uh, Democrats, we have no Republicans in Congress, Democrats are divided among themselves. Three Democrats, uh, Laro, Hayes, and Larson voted no, Courtney and Himes voted yes. All right. Appreciate that information. Let me take another question for you. Uh, IWICH, yeah. what's your question for Rob? Yeah, hey, good morning, Stu. Hey, listen, Joey. Hey, listen, uh, Rob. Yeah. I'd vote for you any day of the week if you ran. I don't care where you ran. Rob, what is your uh, what's I did your 21 years in the United States Navy, mm -hmm. and I love you, man. I wish you'd be around and, and be on Stu's more more often. You're a great guy. I love you, man. Well, I appreciate that. Okay. Thank you for your service, Navy. The last birthday I celebrated, I was 80 years old. So you know what? Uh, as, as they say, my running days are over except for running my mouth. <laughs> Listen, in terms of election, in terms of elections now, you're consider at eighty, you're considered a kid. So I'm a spring chicken, just like Joe Biden. <laughs> so don't worry about it. Uh, yeah, right. The uh, yeah. Durham report. Uh, I think most of us who really follow the news deeply, as you do, were not surprised by the outcome of the Durham report, but of. Of course, it made it even more credible when he came out and told you about the uh, Russian ruse and all of that. But it seems to be very vanilla, and it's disappearing. Do you think so? No, I I, uh, I actually um, was so interested in reading it online, uh, and it's it's such a densely written report, and it's so factually. Uh, documented that I went and bought a, a hardbound copy, which arrived in a couple of days. Mm -hmm. Just, just I mean, the the newspapers panned it because, of course, uh, yes, you know they they didn't want to hear all of the things that he brought out in this report. But this report runs three hundred and six pages long, small print, and there are one thousand seven hundred and fifty three footnotes. And so what you're dealing with here is a document uh, written by a lawyer and his team who had full access to all of the information necessary to piece this thing together, who has written an incredibly detailed report about things that have been considered um, not true by the media. The whole idea of the Russia hoax 
the media says uh, it's it's false. It's it's false news. No, it's not. No, the the Russian collusion deal has been documented. Hillary Clinton and her campaign and the Democrat National Committee colluded to accuse Donald Trump of working or being a stooge of the Russian government. And they continued these attacks against President Trump for four years of his administration and two impeachments. And this report lays out in precise detail how that was all political. There was no truth to it. And then when it came to the investigations of Hillary Clinton with her private server and the 33,000 lost emails and the smashed uh, uh, computers and all of that, how the investigation of Hillary Clinton was slow-walked for a year and a half, and yet the investigation of Trump by the, by the FBI was initiated almost immediately after their first report uh, from about George Papadopoulos from the Australians, and the list goes on. This is an incredibly detailed, incredibly uh, important uh, document, but obviously the Democrats want to brush it under the rug because it shows how corrupt, how corrupt they were in their dealings with the Trump candidacy and the Trump campaign, and this is at the top, at the top. The corruption began with Obama, and then Biden, and then the Director of National Intelligence, the National Security Agency, the FBI, the CIA, the Department of Justice, and a host of other very high-level people, Susan Rice, for example, the National Security Advisor, all of whom engaged in these corrupt uh, uh, attacks against the, the President Trump personally and the Trump administration. And, and yes, the Mueller report uh, concluded that there was no evidence that Trump collaborated, but that you didn't get that from Adam Schiff. You didn't get that from Joe Biden. You didn't get that from Susan Rice. You didn't get that from the Comey and the, and the people at the Justice Department, and the list goes on. They, they did not disclose the ugly horrible details of how the top level of government conspired to uh, defeat this presidential candidate and then to take this president down. And you know what? They're still doing it. So this, this Durham report is an incredibly valuable document. And any American citizen who really cares about the politics of their country and the future of their country mm-hmm. needs to make an effort to read it. I hope so. Democrats and, and Republicans alike should be so upset with this. And, uh, you know, once again, they're always going to be somebody that's going to believe what they want to believe. But I don't know how much more evidence you need. Well, this is this is it. And, and as I say, it's a 300-page report, small print. Uh, it's online for less than $20. You can buy it. Or you can print it out if you want on your computer. Although mm-hmm. I, I found that that a ream of paper in my computer plus the copy the copy cartridge probably was going to cost more than I just bought it <laughs> online. But, yeah. but, but as somebody who has served as an academic and taught college at Yale and I taught college at UConn, a total of 14 years uh, total, uh, Yale and UConn, been an intelligence officer where you were you very concerned about information that you receive and and that it's valid information and if you don't 
if you don't know where information is from, if it's not documented, you, you really have to be very careful with it. This, this report is so incredibly detailed that it's, it's an amazing piece of work. And, and on any given page, you have between six or ten footnotes. So as you read down through the different pages of the report, and it says something, uh, and you say, boy, can that, can that be true? Well, then it gives a footnote that, that mm-hmm. shows where it came from. So this, this uh, Durham report is incredibly valuable. Now, people will criticize it and say, well, he didn't prosecute anybody. Well, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you, you're not able to prosecute. Um, he brought three cases. One of the three was convicted. The other two were not. But, but you're relying on a jury. And maybe the jury, you know, jury may make a decision you don't agree with. If you remember the O.J. Simpson trial. Oh, yes. The jury said he's innocent. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. I don't. No, I, don't. I get it. Believe me, I get it. And just like things are slanted <laughs> allegedly in the New York courts and as opposed to other courts. Uh, we have yeah. a, a caller for you here. Hi, what's your question for Rob? Good morning. Yes. Could could Rob explain how the FBI director, Christopher Wray, can defy Congress by not handing over documents that he's been subpoenaed for? Well, how does he get away with that? That's a great Thank one. You. Well, Thank you. Uh, it's, a, it's a very good question. And I think the answer is he's not going to get away with it for long. Uh, he, he got away with all kinds of nonsense when the Democrats were in charge of the House and the Senate. Um, and so he's kind of used to it. Also, as the FBI director, he falls under the Justice Department. So the attorney general is, is clearly providing him with cover. But, but this will not last forever. The fact that the House committees are investigating the uh, Biden uh, collusion and the Biden uh, bribery deal and that they have unclassified documents that have been held by the Justice Department that that may clearly show where members of the Biden family have accepted uh, foreign money, presumably for access to the vice president. I mean, this, this is not, it's, it's no longer secret in the sense that people don't know it about it. They do know about it. Uh, and the and some of the information is being released. And now what the, the uh, uh, House and Senate Republicans are doing are essentially is telling Ray, you you have no choice now the power of the purse resides with the house uh, and if the speaker of the of the house working with a republican majority in the house decide to to begin to defund or to or to uh, subpoena or to call or to take other um, actions against the fbi director he's going he's going to eventually have to give over the information in fact there's no point in him continuing to conceal it uh, because the nature of the information has been identified. This is a, a story everybody should know about who, who wants to really get into the news now. Uh, he says that he won't, uh, Christopher Ray, won't give out the information because uh, he's done a little dance around it. It's uh, a security for security That's reasons. The, uh, and the, Yeah, the, sensitive sources and methods. That's what they always say. Oh, it's sensitive sources and methods. <clears throat> However, an FBI whistleblower has described in detail what the information is under oath to a committee, an investigating committee. So it, it's it, the cat is out of the bag, and and the Congress, the investigating committees <clears throat> of Congress, duly authorized 
can make his life miserable for him. And, and, you know, and he's smart enough to realize that. You know, the, there was a time uh, when the Democrats were in charge of the House of Representatives. There was a time when Nancy Pelosi was Speaker of the House that Ray would, would, would come to the Congress to testify for half an hour, 40 minutes, and then tell the members of the House and Senate, I'm leaving on vacation now. Well, wait a minute. We're not finished asking you a question. I'm sorry, but I'm leaving on vacation. And he'd walk out. And get it, and get in a, a, his his a government airplane and fly up to the Adirondacks. That was how he used to treat the Congress. He's not going to get away with it anymore. Well, it's just simply very, not going to happen that very way. Very serious stuff. I mean, if it comes in, uh, with the concrete evidence, when uh, Biden was uh, vice president, it also connects, of course, Barack Obama, wouldn't it? Oh, absolutely. So oh, the, yeah, this Barack is serious Obama stuff. Is, is, is is very much uh, outed in the Durham report by John Durham. Mm-hmm. Barack Obama, Joe Biden, Jim Comey, Susan Rice, uh, these these players are outed in this report for the for the terrible things that they did secretly. I mean, we talk about January 6th as an insurrection. That's absolute nonsense. January 6th was not an insurrection. January 6th was a was a, a riot. It was a riot. It was stupid. Donald Trump never should have had the speech. He never should have been in Washington, D.C. But what occurred on the Capitol was not an insurrection. It was a riot. And they're trying to make these January 6th people uh, look like they were overthrowing the government. The the real effort to overthrow the government took place beginning uh, in in the uh, uh, Clinton-Trump election year, the summer of that election year, when the uh, Clinton intelligence uh, uh, report came to the higher levels of government that she was going to link Donald Trump to Russia. And this was a clandestine operation conducted on behalf of the Clinton campaign by the DNC involving the Steele report, which was false, and all kinds of rumors and allegations which were false, which did not knock him out of the race. And then on January 5th, 2017, Biden met in the Oval Office with with, uh, Trump and Obama, uh, no, not with Trump, with Obama, Susan Rice, Comey, and other high-level officials to continue the narrative that Trump was an agent of Russia. And that went for the next two years. And then they tried two impeachments to get rid of him. That was a coup directed against the duly elected President Donald Trump by the Democrat opposition. And this is all spelled out in the door. Look at report, about, just consider, Democrats don't want to read it. consider all the money that was wasted, all the time was wasted when we have so many things to deal with. Let me take a uh, question here. Hi, your question for Rob. Hi, WICH. Yes, yes, good morning. Yes, uh, I watched uh, Fox last night, and uh, Lindsey Graham was very adamant about the cuts that we're going to have, uh, very angry about the cuts we're going to have the United States Navy when uh, China was building their Navy up. Uh, could you elaborate on that, Rob, mm-hmm. please? Uh, absolutely. Um, as I think we all know, uh, defense spending as a percentage of gross national product has, has been going down pretty consistently over the last 15 or 20 years, both sides of the aisle. Ronald Reagan uh, stopped it and rebuilt, but, but it's been an up-and-down battle. Meanwhile, China... Uh, has invested dramatically, dramatically uh, in its Navy. Uh, when I was in Congress 20 years ago, 
uh, I was told by Pentagon officials from the Navy that we really don't have to worry about the Chinese Navy. The Chinese have no history of a Navy. And I, I asked the individual witness who was an admiral, I said, have you read about the treasure fleet of 12, 1256, I think was the, you know, 1200 years after the, after the birth of Christ? Uh, he said, no. I said, well, you need to read about the treasure fleet because what that shows is the Chinese had the largest navy in the history of the world in the 12th century but they decided thereafter that they didn't really need a navy, that they could do fine with just an army. So when you say they have no history of a navy, they have a history of having the biggest navy in the history of the world. Well, we all know in the 19th and 20th century, the navy became an instrument for projecting power around the world. And we all know that the submarine navy that we produce right here in, in uh, Connecticut is instrumental in protecting us from any nuclear attacks from Russia, China, North Korea, or any other bad actor, because they cannot guarantee that there will not be a retaliation from our subsurface nuclear navy. But, but overall, we have allowed the number of ships to deteriorate, whereas the Chinese have dramatically increased their ships. So yeah, this, this is a problem. Uh, however, when you look at the details of the debt ceiling deal that passed the House last night, um, it, does not, it limits spending but not defense spending. So there's no reason in the world why we cannot ramp up military spending uh, uh, over the next couple of years, which is probably a good idea. Well, we better do that or every other thing is going to be insignificant if we're overpowered. And uh, to me, that's that should be a no-brainer. And yet some people want to cut military expenses, which I don't understand. Well, the, you know, the politics of America are interesting because we live uh, uh, in this country with a very high quality of life, and we live relatively safely. Now, that's not true in the inner cities anymore because we've defunded the police and we've demonized the police. So police in Chicago, New York, and elsewhere, they don't want to work there anymore. Uh, my my uh, nephew is a D.C. police officer. His fiancée is a D.C. police oh, officer. God not, bless him. It's not fun being a cop in, in a lot of these urban areas that are run by Democrats. So, so but, but most of the country is pretty safe and we're pretty used to it. So when we see... Uh, uh, funding for defense, we don't we don't understand how important it really is. It really is to our lifestyles. Can you imagine if we were living in Ukraine? Good God, you know. Think about living in Ukraine. That, that we've decided to go live in Ukraine for a while. Think about how a country like Ukraine, which is being devastated by war, uh, because unfortunately they're 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 being battered by a a, a major power, Russia. So before try I take a break... A, try being a Muslim in China or Tibet. Try living in Tibet. Believe me, I think uh, of that stuff all the time. Yeah. Sometimes maybe we're better off just, you know, uh, taking a break and trying not to think about it. But I, I certainly do. Just before I take the break, um, giving too much to Ukraine, too little, or this thing could go on for years. Uh, it could. My opinion is that uh, as the leader of the free world, if the United States of America is the leader of the free world, uh, we would we would normally wish to support uh, folks that are fighting for freedom somewhere else in the, in the world. And that's certainly the case 
uh, between Ukraine and Russia. Now, is, is Ukraine a, a perfect country? No. Is the Are the politics of Ukraine perfect? No. We, we know from uh, Hunter Biden's interaction with Burisma uh, in Ukraine when there was a Russian puppet elected before the current President Zelensky, we know there was corruption in, in uh uh, in Ukraine, and it, it's kind of like the what's that old Humphrey Go, Bo, Bogart movie, a gambling, gambling in in Nick's mm-hmm. casino? Oh no! I mean, you know, corruption, corruption in Ukraine, corruption in Russia. There's corruption around the world. My God, Absolutely. there's corruption right here in America. Of course, of course. I, I mean, mean, come on. So, so okay, there's corruption. Maybe some of the military uh, resources we're giving to Ukraine. Uh, aren't getting exactly where they need to go. Well, what about the military resources we, we dedicated to Afghanistan that Joe Biden pulled the plug on, and we lost? We lost. There's no need for that. We lost all of that stuff. So is, is war fun? No, war is not fun. Is it wasteful? Yes, it's wasteful. It's terribly wasteful. Uh, children uh, and innocent people die. So it's not something anybody would want. But you know what? The alternative for Ukraine is is being overtaken uh, and ruled by Russia. And, and after the breakup of the Soviet Union, they decided they didn't want that anymore. They wanted freedom. And so, you know, I'm... I'm perfectly willing to have some of my taxpayer dollars mm-hmm. go to support the Ukrainian fight for freedom. Right, let me take a little break, Rob. We have a, you know, we have 15 minutes, so I'll be right back with you. Sour goes a little too quickly, but I will take another call if you like at 889-5252. One of these days, I would like a uh, Rob Simmons marathon on the air, but uh, <laughs> maybe for my birthday or something. You're right, <laughs> Rob. I have so many things popping in my head, so let me just throw some things out uh, quickly at you here before the news, and that is, uh, young people, I don't think understand uh, TikTok because they love it so much. I mean, it's their it's their lives, and you know, when you talk about well, we should ban TikTok from the country because there's a connection with China. I don't think they get it. Uh, probably not. Um, I don't do TikTok. I got rid of my Facebook account. Um, I spent a lot of time online downloading uh, news stories. But I don't spend a lot of time online. In fact, I spend virtually no time online uh, chatting with other uh, people, posting photographs of myself, uh, talking about my innermost secret life. (laughs) Uh, In the case of some people, young people, they post uh, photographs uh, where they're scantily clad or even nude. God knows what they're putting online. And this is crazy stuff because this information can be aggregated uh, by people who have a hostile intent uh, to um, manipulate and distort uh, our lives uh, in ways that that are very unfortunate. And, And now with the development of artificial intelligence, you can actually create online characters, which I guess is what AOC is getting all excited about, uh, online characters uh, that can either spoof or mislead people. Um, and and there's no, there are no filters or mechanisms to determine what's friendly, what's not so friendly, and what's hostile. So th- that was another. That was one of the next things I was going to just bring up here is the A1 artificial intelligence. Um, 
lot of things that we've created, we're kind of sorry we did. It puts everybody in jeopardy, uh, nuclear weapons and ever. I can't imagine artificial intelligence not having more of a, me- a negative side than a positive side. When you think of all the, uh, unfortunately, there is evil still in the world. It's going to get into the wrong hands. Uh, should we stop this or where, where should we go with this? Well, it's like a lot of things. You, you probably can't stop it, but you have to learn how to control it and how to deal with it. Uh, it's like the development of nuclear bombs. Uh, you know, once once the genie yeah, is, the is lamp, out of the yeah. bottle, it's hard to mm-hmm. it's hard to put it back in. Uh, or as uh, Haldeman and Ehrlichman said of the Watergate conspiracy, once the toothpaste is out of the tube, it's hard to put it back in. So you have to you have to deal with it. Um, I've read uh, stories online of families who have received phone calls from their children that they've been kidnapped, and the kidnappers want twenty five or thirty thousand mm-hmm. uh, dollars placed in a in a barrel or a basket or emailed, or they want the uh, credit card numbers to download, and 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 then they have had the wisdom to put in a phone call to their child only to find out the child is at college and is perfectly okay. So artificial intelligence can can replicate the 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 uh, voice and the manners and the behavior of individuals. Well, what if what if some bad actor in North Korea or one of these crazy African countries decides uh, that um, they're going to replicate Joe Biden's a discussion with his staff that we're going to initiate a nuclear attack on China, and then that's shipped over to China, and they mm-hmm. get all upset, and they begin to get ready to, to, to launch on us, and, and then it goes to Russia, and, and these these phony messages are disrupting the world order. I think we have to get ahead of it. That's the critical issue. Get ahead of it. We have to now because uh, we have to protect ourselves with other people who are getting ahead of it and what they can do with it. So it's spy against spy. I'm sure that it boils down to it. Of course, the good side is it may come up with some cures that uh, we mortals haven't come up with. Well, the, the human brain is a wonderful thing. Um, but it can be automated. Remember that uh, IBM, International Business Machines, grew out of National Cash Register. Uh, the Watson, the Watson, the first member of the Watson family worked for National Cash Register, which was a machine. It was like a voting machine. Uh, it worked like a machine. You punched certain keys, and the register would open, and it would flash up certain numbers, and then you would close it, and it was a machine. But uh, Tom Watson said, I think there's an electronic way we can do this. And that's where IBM was created. And there were people at the time that said, wow, this IBM thing, this, this is kind of scary. I mean, it's using mm-hmm. electronics to do calculations. There's no telling where it's going to go. Well, we know where it's gone. <laughs> it's gone. It, it, it's made fortunes for people like the Watson family through IBM. It's made fortunes for Bill Gates because he has the disk operating system uh, for these machines. And it's, it's revolutionized the way the world computes. Uh, and it's more or less under control. In other words, it's not out of control. I think the same, the same thing could be said of artificial intelligence, that it could be a, a wonderful uh, boon for humanity if we, if we work it right. So 
Elon Musk is an interesting character. I'm trying to learn more and more about him. I just read now he is considered the richest person in the world. Um, what is your take on him? Very bright, very capable, um, visionary as an, an intuition uh, about things. The whole electronic vehicle uh, initiative was what really formed his fortune. Of course, then when he bought Twitter and shut that down, that <laughs> he, he lost half of his fortune because, of course, you mm-hmm. know that, that that's Twitter was was supposed to be the uh, the information source for the left of center and the Democrats to attack Republicans, and it was certainly used uh, uh, to influence behaviors in the. Um, in the election cycle, and and he he broke that down and and disclosed it, which is which is basically good. So I, I don't know. It's hard to it's it's hard to evaluate somebody uh, who has such interesting and unique interests, and and will continue to do so. He's more than just a rich guy. He's a very mm-hmm. intuitive, uh, intelligent guy, which which means you have to watch watch carefully to see where he's going. I think I was reading that he's uh, in China now, or he's going to China, or something's going on. But I'm sure. Yeah. Well, China, China is 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 the is the big dog now. It's not it's not Russia. It's not the Soviet Union, mm-hmm. and yet the United States of America is not so much in decline as leveled off. Uh, others have caught up. Uh, Deng Xiaoping in 1980 basically uh, took over from Mao Zedong and said, we're not going to fight the West anymore, and we're not going to fight it. We're going to, we're going to adopt Western methods and put them under communist control. And that goes for, for business and manufacturing. That's what they've done. They've taken the, that's what the Japanese did during the Meiji Restoration in the 1870s. And Japan became a great power, so much so that, uh, that uh, in World War II they, they hit Pearl Harbor, they conquered China and, and Malaysia, they conquered uh, uh, Singapore and, and, and vast parts of, of the Far East um, because they adopted Western methods of manufacturing and fighting. So, have, uh, so China has mm-hmm. done the same thing. And, I have uh, and, 60 and seconds uh, to ask you a little bit about crime, and that is this past Memorial Day weekend, uh, something that you most people don't hear in the news, 53 people were shot in uh, Chicago, uh, mostly black-on-black crime. Why is it when there's one incident where maybe a white policeman and a person of color and, uh, you know, jumping to conclusions on race, and that, that we don't hear about those 53 that were shot in Chicago? Politics. It's all, it's all politics. about politics. It's all about dividing America. It's all about saying we're a racist nation, which we're not. Uh, far from it. Um, you know, uh, the, the racists are in China. The Chinese are very racist uh, people. Well, they sure are, um, yeah. And there are over a billion people. <laughs> How can you call America racist when we have, I don't know, 180 nationalities here and, and every every color in the rainbow? That's <laughs> just nonsense. Because our leaders politics. keep saying it. Yeah. Divide and conquer. I say one time I would like to see the Reverend Al Sharpton go to Chicago and have a march there. That would be a... Uh, well, you're not going to march for black-on-black crime. That's mm-hmm. that's not the point. He's a race hustler. He's made yeah. his money, and he's and he's um, developed his influence by creating the perception that uh, the police are bad, that, that every day a cop gets up in the morning and, and tries to figure out who he's going to go out and shoot and kill. 
the defunding of the police and the demonizing of the police is, is a horrible a horrible development mm -hmm. uh, for the public safety of our, our country. Well, Rob, uh, thank you for the time today, as always. Be well, and uh, hopefully we can corral you again in the near future. Well, good talking to you, Stu, and have a great weekend. You too, Rob. Take care of yourself. Yeah, bye.